the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, Ken, I've, I've decided I'm going to hire a professional to do the uh, to do the the uh, social media streaming and all that. I, I just don't have the time or the ability to to do it. Well, you just concentrate on the show and let somebody else handle the tech. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I got enough money now that I can pay somebody a couple thousand bucks to do that. So I, I'm going to do that. I'm starting to look. At any rate, we had a little bit of alien music there at the beginning of the show or alien sounds. And, and you know, this week they've come out with or some guys come out with, he said he is a, an ex-Air Force pilot, F-16 pilot or something like that. And he knows that we have alien technology here that the government's hiding. Not coincidentally or coincidentally, not coincidentally, this came out about the same time as the, uh, the, the Hunter Biden, uh, Joe Biden uh, situation is heating up where the House is going to uh, look closely at their financials and their misdeeds. And, uh, of course, they indicted Trump this week, too. Uh, a lot of noise in the background, Ken, to distract from the real criminal, which is or which are the Bidens. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just this guy's been in politics for so long and He's never held a real job, and, and yet he's a multimillionaire. How do you do that? I don't know. I, it, it happens all the time, though, in politics. I tell you, it's just not right. No, it, no it's not. So I was looking at this uh, alien theory that aliens have come to the Earth and blah, 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 blah. Now, remember that Einstein, Einstein's mathematical theory said that you cannot exceed the speed of light. You can't. So to to get from here to Alpha Centauri, which is our nearest star, is going to be, what, seven light years. And how fast does light travel? That's that's the amount of distance light will cover in a year as a light year. How fast does it travel, Ken? 186,000 miles per second. You got it. You got it. So let's take a look at this. As an object approaches the speed of light, its weight becomes infinitely large. And it requires an infinite amount of energy uh, to move that object at the speed of light. So it's almost impossible to do because you'd have to have an infinite energy source. Where would you get that? So let's say you could travel at two-thirds the speed of light if you were a really intelligent uh, species that had evolved. I mean, it'd still take you decades to get to the Earth. And first of all, you'd have to identify it. How would you identify it? Well, we know that Marconi and his uh, radio waves were transmitting at the turn of the last century. So, and it's going to take seven to 10 years for those radio waves to reach another planet. Then the people on that planet have to decipher it and decide whether it's from an intelligent being or beings or whether it's just the uh, random uh waves that are being transmitted by two large gravitational objects like two big stars or two big uh, planets rotating around each other. Then you'd have to backtrack. You'd have to try and determine if there's anything of value by looking at what's coming to you from the radio waves and television and whatever else. 
And then you'd have to say, well, do they have anything we want? Well, I mean, if you're that advanced, what do you need us for? Exactly. You know? if, you, if you can get here. You don't need us. <laughs> the only thing, like, it might be an Independence Day kind of thing where they need the water or the, the planet in general for resources, and they're hostile. But other than that, that, I don't think they would really need us for anything. No. And and let's say that you were a carbon-based life form. Well, how are you going to survive uh, for dozens of years or hundreds of years or thousands of years to travel uh, from one star system to another? I, I don't think, you know, I just don't think that carbon-based life forms are going to be the interstellar uh, explorers that, that we perceive ourselves to be. I think it's going to be a hybrid of our machines and uh, some uh, bio life form, uh, or we'll, we'll transfer all of our knowledge eventually into machines and uh, they'll take over. They'll have our consciousness and they'll carry us on. But I can't see us traveling that distance. I mean, you know, we can't even go 50,000 miles an hour in space yet. We got a long ways to go. Uh, so I'm real skeptical of all that. And well, I, look, I, at, look, look, look at the, uh, the, um, Voyager rockets. Okay. Yeah. They were launched in the 70s. They have just now left the solar system. Not even yeah. close to a planet. They're just they're just now leaving the solar system. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's that's craziness. So so how are you going to uh boost your speed to those to those tremendous uh numbers? Uh where are you going to get the energy and how are you going to how are you going to transport something uh like a starship with uh, some kind of beings on it. I mean, it, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I've never bought into this alien theory and nobody's ever shown me any evidence that aliens have visited here. Now, you know, come on, aliens have landed on this planet in the form of viruses and bacteria and uh, particles of DNA that came in on comets or asteroids or whatever, but that's not the same as intelligent life form coming to not Earth. Even, not even close, no. Not even close, buddy. Not even close. And now, now, the thing is, and why I don't buy alien life forms here, is because if somebody is out there looking around for other life forms, they, like you said, would have been hearing our radio signals and even seeing our television signals in some cases, if they're close enough, by now. You'd think they would have picked up on those because there are so many of them. We don't hear a thing out there when we're listening. No. Not a thing. Absolutely dead silence as far as an actual uh, signal coming from it. You know, we don't know. We're not hearing, you know, the Alpha Centauri equivalent of the Beatles. No. No. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And when we put these super-duper telescopes up into space and we look back, I mean, we're looking at when we see the far reaches of the universe, we're looking back at light that has traveled for millions of years, millions of years at the speed of light. So imagine the distance it is from here to the edge of the universe, if there is such a thing. I mean, it just, it's unfathomable. Now, there is a theory out there that um, believes, or is, not believe, it, uh, it states that every advanced civilization will finally get to the point where they destroy themselves. Well, so it may be they've already been there and we missed those signals going by us because they've destroyed themselves and the signal stopped. Maybe. Again, but, yeah. And if they're coming from, you know, hundreds of millions of light years away or 10 millions of light years away, you think we'd pick up something. I mean, you know. You, you think so, but we're not hearing a thing. That's why I don't believe they're out there. 
No, I don't think so either. And and that doesn't mean there isn't intelligent life out there. It just means that I don't think that uh, that they have found us, and we certainly have not found them. SETI, the uh, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Agency, actual agency of some kind. Now, I'm certain that there are thousands, there, maybe tens of thousands of planets that would be suitable for us to live on if we could get there. I yeah. think they're probably everywhere because life is easy to make. And life, life seeks itself. Life uh, wants to uh, to be, and and uh, everything wants to live. Can everything, want, whether it's a star or a rock or a human or a puppy dog, everything wants to live. Everything wants to live, and everything wants to um, share some part of itself. So trees, plenty of trees around the universe, I would think. Well, I would hope. Yeah, maybe now, a few birds flying out there as well. Can maybe or maybe planets with dinosaurs on them right now. We don't know. So. Do trees talk? They do in The Wizard of Oz. used to scare the heck out of me. <laughs> the talking trees and the flying monkeys. Man. <laughs> <laughs> the flying monkeys still kind of scare me. They scare you, huh? Well, we won't let them get you, Ken. Well, just one more thing, Doc, before we get off this whole alien thing here. Just keep in mind that you and I have been on the radio right now, and those signals are beaming out. And they're just going to keep on going. Nothing's ever going to stop them. So in a sense, you and I have already attained immortality. We have. And that's pretty cool. Yes, it is. Now, there's one thing, though, that um, Einstein postulated that since space is a fabric, uh, that it could be folded and you could travel without moving. You're talking about wormholes. Instantaneously. Um, So uh, that possibility exists. Uh, But again, if you have that kind of technology... What are you interested in us for? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense. Still, look, at they're still watching cable. They're still on Wi-Fi. I mean, they're laughing at us. I mean, maybe they maybe they like uh, the, the Korean uh, movies and, and TV shows. Maybe they're coming to steal those. I don't know. <laughs> we'll get a message. Uh, you know, somebody will pick up Voyager. You know, there's, a re- there's an actual record on Voyager. On both Voyagers, as a matter of fact. And instructions on how to play it. For an alien society, if they were to intercept this spacecraft, and it has music from all over the world and throughout the ages, as much as they could cram on there, and uh, it's an actual gold record, a really made, made up gold. And uh, someday, I think we're going to get another message says, uh, from them saying, "Send more James Brown." <laughs> I think, other than that, I don't think they're interested in us. Yeah, my, it's a weird world. So Elon Musk, who's becoming the conscience of the country, I don't know how he got to that place. He's, he's a fascinating guy. He is. I mean, and he's he's talking and thinking about anything and everything. And he suggests Trump is being targeted uh, after the indictment. Uh, far higher interest in pursuing tar- uh, Trump than others. And, and I mean, there's no doubt that that's true. So uh, apparently he is postulating that uh, this is a hit job, a political hit job. And uh, I think that some of this is timed at, almost exactly with when the House came came out with the uh, with the uh, report from the FBI that the FBI director had been refusing to give them. Finally, he gave it up, gave it up the same day that they came out with this indictment of Trump uh, for federal charges of uh, obstruction and this and that. And they're serious charges, Ken. They are. They're very serious, yes. 
I, I just don't get it. We've never, ever treated our our presidents like this. And, you know, this is what they do in South Korea. You get out of office and they indict you and send you to prison. <laughs> so it's like every other every other president of South Korea has been to prison. So. Yeah, that's true. Everybody goes to prison in South Korea when you're done. Uh, and, you know, it, Philippines, too, I think, isn't it? Uh, I don't think so. I think no. the Philippines, they just kill you. Oh, OK. <laughs> just get get them out of the way. He got lost in the jungle. We don't know what happened to him. Yeah. Any rate, so poor Trump. You know, this new indictment over documents is a whole new ball game. Says uh, uh, Jonathan Turley, who is a constitutional lawyer and a big wig, and he's a, a talk show host. And he said, you know, the the uh, indictments up in New York are just politically motivated, but this this could have some substance to it, and if they can prove anything. Now, what happens when it goes to the Supreme Court? That's a whole nother thing. But, you know, the man could be on trial while he's running for president. He could be elected president and still be under an indictment. Well, he could pardon himself, couldn't he? That I don't know. I guess he could. He can pardon anybody he wants. Just to take the distraction away from the uh, country, you know? Been going well, on long enough. Let's just. First, you'd have, you know, to be indicted is not to be uh, found guilty. Not at all. So he could not pardon himself. Until he was found guilty. True. So he has to wait till after he's president to be found guilty. But he could stop the investigation. That'd be tough. I mean, there's a lot of laws about these independent uh, prosecutors and uh, independent counsels looking into things. That was one of the reasons Congress sent, set this up was so that the executive branch and the legislative branch would not be able to interfere. Of course, you know, that doesn't work either. <laughs> Obviously, they're interfering. You know? <laughs> but I I don't know. I don't know. It's just it, it's really kind of sad. I mean, look, I'd vote for DeSantis. I'd vote for Trump. But uh, I, I don't see the benefit in completely denigrating half of the population because you don't like Trump's personality. And uh, Rachel Maddow on CNN, her big thing was, well, isn't this what we're trying to do is keep him from running? I'll tell you what, he's just getting stronger. That's not the way to do it, yeah. That's not the way to do it. No, you're making him a, well, a martyr. You're, you're turning him to a martyr. Yeah, and if you want to uh, if you want to win the battle, go on the offensive and show people what you got that works. Yeah. Show them your good stuff. Yeah, he's, he's, he's never shied away from a fight. Mm-mm. So I think uh, it could be a very interesting campaign. And he's got enough money that he can fight. Now, why are the others out there? I mean, besides DeSantis. All the Republicans? Yeah. Their numbers are like, what, 1%, 2%, approval? Well, I mean, Chris Christie needs to just go back and crawl under the rock he came out of. Mm -hmm. Get on a diet, yeah. Get on a diet. I mean, he's just a... Work on himself for a while. He, he he's just a slob, yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know, and, and politically, I don't I don't think he has any great uh, uh, pull anymore, and I don't know how much of a real intellect he is. He's certainly a good talker, and that's a, certainly a, a, an aspect of intellect is to be able to talk and and deliver yourself in public. But you know, there's a lot of actors that can do that, and they can't even count to ten. That's true. Yeah. So, and you know, you've been in show business a long time. There's That's a lot right. I, may, I may sound smart, but no, <laughs> not a chance. Anybody can be trained to read a script. There you go. Um, 
any rate, so uh, I, th I think that we've we've got a lot of people out there that are uh, certainly not relevant, uh, but uh, I think some of them would like to be the vice president. Uh, okay, well, and that that may be why they jumped into the arena, and also to get their name out into the national press. So if you get on the stage with Trump uh, for a debate, you know you're. You're you're pretty much a made man in the uh, political mafia. They know who you are now, and you can get on radio shows and television shows and and talk and sound intelligent. You know, former presidential candidate. Start raising money, right? Yeah. And raising money. And by the way, you can keep the money you raise in a campaign if you don't use it all. Did you know that? Um, I thought the rules were different in different states, but I'm not sure about national campaigns. I think nationally you can keep yeah. it. Well, great. I'm going to keep mine. I'm going to run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm declaring my candidacy right now. Yeah. Can for president. All right. Send that check, too. So uh, I was at a party last night, and we were we were talking, and uh, my friends are, you know, God bless them. They're, they're sweet as they can be. Uh, they're left-wingers, of course, and they don't listen to anything other than CNN and MSNBC. And... Uh, they started railing against DeSantis because he told the kids to take off their mask when he went to the school. And like, oh, my God, what's he doing? He's, you know, spreading COVID. And I said, wait a minute. That's a whole different thing with kids than it is with adults. And, of course, as you know, I defended the mask, and I think adults should and did use them for the most part. And it cuts down on the spread of it or the rapidity of the spread of, of the disease and allowed us to get people vaccinated and also to develop antiviral drugs like remdesivir and Paxlovid, uh, which was a good thing. But um, I looked at four or five different studies from Hong Kong, uh, Japan, Ireland, Australia, um, and all of them say the same thing, that the the transmissibility from kids to adults is much different than from adult to adult. And you think about this, Ken. Think about uh, sneezing and coughing and the amount of force it, it requires to generate a spray of uh, five or six feet out, which is what an adult male our size could do with uh, droplets that are maybe 50 microns and uh, nanometers in size, and you compare that to a red blood cell, which is about seven microns or seven nanometers in size. So you're talking about droplets that are, um, you know, uh, seven or eight times bigger than a red blood cell. And these will hang in the air for a while, but not too long. Now, the smaller the particle is, let's say some of the moisture in, in a droplet evaporates and you get this thing down to 10 or 20 microns, then that'll hang in the air for a long time. But who can generate that kind of, that size and that that volume and force of uh, droplets? Certainly not kids. They can't do it. They just don't have the the size and the strength and the, the lung power. So this is adult transmission. This is an adult to adult primarily transmission. And kids are less susceptible to the virus. We don't know why for sure, but... Uh, we do know that the mortality rate was almost zero with kids. I think we probably had one or two dozen kids in Florida that died from the COVID, if indeed it was even the COVID, because as you know, anybody who had any comorbidity, uh, you know, if they had terminal cancer, 
and they got COVID and, it, you know, it sped up their demise by a month or two. Well, it was a COVID death. Come on. That's not a COVID death. That's a cancer death with a complication. How much you think of how much you think that occurred? How many you know what I mean? How how often did that occur? Any guess? Well, I know it's just a guess, but do you have any guess at all? Well, I can tell you from my personal experience, and as you know, I was in the hospital every day during the pandemic, seeing patients, admitting patients with COVID, uh, performing cardiology consults on patients with COVID, performing procedures on them, and most people had some uh, some predisposition. So we know that the people who were obese had lung disease, smoked, uh, had heart disease, kidney disease, diabetes. They were at much higher risk. We know that uh, in the United States, black Americans were at higher risk because of the different health profile. And uh, there, there's a lot of mistrust of the, of the medical system still in the black community. And so we know that the, both the, the uh, rate of COVID and the, the death rate of COVID were much higher. And of course, in the black community, there was less, uh, less vaccination because people didn't trust it. And uh, which is too bad, you know, I mean, really and truly, I don't know any doctors. There may be some doctors, but I don't know any doctors that have any kinds of prejudices like that anymore. Maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But even then, my parents, they treated everybody the same. And, you know, they took care of everybody who came in. And my father's practice, of course, was for money. But my mother was in public health. And she took care of all the kids in the county, the wards of the county, and everybody got the same treatment. But nevertheless, uh, there certainly are comorbid factors that have come into play in this disease. And those who actually had the severe uh, uh, inflammatory response, which ended up filling their lungs up with fluid and gunk, and that's what killed them, we still don't know if there's a subset genetically of people who are more susceptible. So at any rate, here's the bottom line. Uh, you know, my friends were saying, oh, well, DeSantis, who's he? He's not a doctor. How does he know anything about this? I said, well, look, he's got medical people around him that advise him and tell him this. He's just like he's got lawyers around him that have uh, input into the uh, legislation that he wants to push forward. You know how many lawyers there are in the, in the Florida Department of State? <laughs> I, hazard, I don't even hazard a guess. I would guess at this point probably 10,000 lawyers work for the Department of State in Florida alone. Wouldn't surprise me. I know that when Charlie Crist was in office, uh, or when he was Secretary of State here, he told me he had five or 6,000 attorneys at that time. And that's been, what, 20 years ago? Absolutely. The numbers have climbed. Oh, uh, so I, I think that... Um, Part of the problem, Ken, is that people uh, don't really have the ability to comprehend all of the science and to ingest all of the data that uh, comes out with with things like the COVID uh, epidemic. And they don't, you know, they're, they're just not at the same level as I am. And so trying to convince them of something when they're predisposed already to mistrust uh, uh the establishment or the conservatives or whatever, it makes it even harder because they listen to CNN or MSNBC or their family members who say white doctors are all evil. And uh, how do you get through that? I mean, how do you convince people 
uh, to open their minds up a little bit more and, and look a little bit further. Kind of sad, you know, lives uh, were lost because they couldn't get the vaccine or they didn't yeah. chose, chose not to get the vaccine. Uh, and you have to also consider the uh, the uh, the loss of, of education and the loss of socialization that came with uh, forcing kids to stay home or having them wear masks in school when there was no real science to show that it did anything. And my one friend, she said, well, well, you know, I don't want a child coming home and giving me the COVID virus. And then she immediately quoted or, or cited her mother who got the COVID virus from one of the healthcare workers at a nursing home. And I said, that's not a child, that's an adult. Yeah, so it, it it's hard to get people to understand the uh, physiology of this. I mean, I, you know, you know, a kid just cannot generate the droplets and the size of droplets. And remember, the heavier the droplet, the quicker it falls to earth. So a 50 or 60 nanometer micron droplet isn't going to stay in the air very long, a few minutes. You get down to 10 microns or nanometers, so it can stay in there for hours. Mm -hmm. and that's a different thing. Then you also have to consider the natural death of the virus. It decays over time because it doesn't live outside of, uh, it, it can't live outside of a human being or a monkey or whatever. Needs a host. Needs a host. And uh, so th these are all considerations, and they're tough to convince people uh, that uh, they're being manipulated by the press and that they're letting their own personal biases and beliefs come into it. And, and, you know, when you're doing science, you can't do that, Ken. You have to be very dispassionate, very dispassionate. And one of the, one of the guys at the party, he was, he's a retired ophthalmologist. Well, actually, he's still practicing part-time ophthalmologist. And he was saying, do you think that this gain of function was as a, uh, was as a weapon, a bioweapon? Bio I said, you know, I don't think so, because a virus really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They're so small and so easy to blow back at you that I, mean, I would think that if you want to make a bioweapon, you'd use a bacteria or a fungus or something that uh, was much larger and heavier so that it didn't blow back at your own men. And uh, I said, besides, this really didn't affect uh, soldiers that much. It didn't affect young people. So, so what do you think? What were they? What did, do you believe? On retrospect, now looking back on all this, do you believe that the Chinese were messing with something in Wuhan there? Oh yeah, and it got out. Yeah, there's no doubt about that in my mind. Uh, that the uh, gain of function experiments. We know that there's. I forget the woman's name. She's a Chinese researcher, and they call her the Bat Doctor because she would go out into Western China, collect um, bat, whatever bat stuff they collect and isolate these viruses. And her concern was that as the Chinese population uh, expanded westward, which, you know, it's eventually going to have to because, what, nine-tenths of the country lives on the East Coast or within 100, 200 miles of the East Coast, that they would come in contact with these viruses that could be transmitted to humans. And so she brought those back to the lab. And by the way, Fauci was in on this. He knew about this. And we had helped fund that, the research. And they did the gain of function, which also was a way to see uh, what you could do to manipulate the virus and how you could come up with um, vaccines and antidotes for it. So I, I think that a lot of this was just this, this stupid curiosity of, of uh, researchers. And, you know, you know how doctors are. We like to just kind of stick something in something and see what it does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, did you see that? <laughs> 
Look, he jumped. Doc, it's time for a question. Well, let's get one, dude. Yes, I have one ready to go. Wait a minute. Let me, let me, let me, my music here. Hang on a second. All right. There we go. All right. Today's question always, of course, deals with something that we talked about in the first half of the show. It is for two Dr. Bill, your Radio MD coffee mugs at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. First correct caller will win. Today's question, does the doc believe extraterrestrials have visited the planet Earth? Does the doc believe extraterrestrials have visited the planet Earth? Call 877-969-8600. If you know the answer, that's 877-969-8600. First person with the correct answer wins, right? Is that the way we play this game, Doc? That's it, baby. Give us a call. All right. We'll catch you on the other side. We'll be right back. Here's the latest from the Answer News Center. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Officials say they plan to conduct safety inspections of all the major freight railroads over the next year. That's after the Federal Railroad Administration recently completed a review of Norfolk Southern's safety culture. That report will be released soon on what investigators found at Norfolk Southern after the fiery February derailment that prompted the evacuation of half of East Palestine, Ohio. That crash has sparked intense interest about railroad safety nationwide. Starting next year, owners of electric vehicles made by GM and Ford will be able to charge their EVs at many Tesla charging stations, the largest such network in the country. And Chinese media says Honduras has opened an embassy in Beijing this weekend. The move comes after the Central American nation broke off relations with Taiwan in order to establish diplomatic ties with China. This is SRN News. AM860, The Answer. Listen on our website, theanswertampa.com. 93.7 FM. W229DJ Deneep. By downloading The Answer Tampa app or on TuneIn or Odyssey. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical. Located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of CanCare, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical, home of CanCare Clinic, offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727 384 When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. 
Dr. Bill here. My friends at St. Pete MRI and Sleep Diagnostics are your best choice for state-of-the-art MRI, CT, and sleep studies. Quality unsurpassed. 25 years experience makes St. Pete MRI my go-to imaging center. Self-pay rates are competitive and out-of-pocket cost a fraction of a hospital. Conveniently accessible from both sides of the bay at 750 94th Avenue North, St. Pete, near the Gandhi. 727-577-2220. The latest from AccuWeather at the top and bottom of the hour. Only on AM860, The Answer. Today it will be sunny to partly cloudy with a high 90. Tonight mainly clear with a low 77. Tomorrow partly sunny with a high 91. Tomorrow night mainly clear with a low 77. On Tuesday mostly sunny with a high 92. Get the weather news when and how you want it wherever you are. Download our free app or visit AccuWeather.com. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Garrett Beck on AM 860, The Answer. And we're back. I'm Dr. Bill. i got Ken with me. We're doing a radio show today. And we're uh, podcasting here and there, and who knows where. <laughs> so I'm going to break down and hire somebody, Ken. I can't can't do all this anymore and get the social media aspect of it up and running properly. Right, you should be concentrating on the show. That's right. That's right. So did you hear about these kids in, in, in Columbia? You know, the plane crashed 40 days ago. They found the dead parents, uh, but the uh, the kids actually survived, the four kids in the backseat of this little Cessna plane. And they were... In the uh, Colombian uh, uh, Amazon, and they survived 40 days. Amazing. It's amazing. They apparently, 11 months old to 13 years old, apparently they had uh, their, I guess they had some indigenous blood in them, and their parents taught them survival skills at home. So they knew what fruits they could eat and uh, how to build little primitive shelters, and uh, they found them. Unbelievable. These kids survived 40 days in the jungle by themselves with no food or supplies after a plane crash, after they lost their parents and 11 months old to 13 years old. Pretty darn good. That is amazing. So much for Lord of the Flies. You remember that book? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where it was uh, postulated that kids would would, uh, revert to more primitive behavior. These kids actually excelled and, and went beyond. Instead of going backwards, they went forward. So... I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good sign for humanity. Some very responsible parents there teaching their kids how to survive. Meanwhile, back at the White House, Joe had the the biggest uh, gay pride or whatever it is day, you know, ever. He had all these people on there and he praised at their bravery for doing what they're doing and and being who they are and transgenders and all that. Guess what happened with Target? <laughs> They lost another $15 billion oh, in market shares uh, at the uh, woke backlash because they had put on display these uh, tuck-in panties for men, women, or whatever you want to call them. And uh, so they're losing market shares because of that, along with Budweiser and different companies. So we we'll probably need to get a list of companies that are trying to go woke and start boycotting them all. This is stupid. I mean, come on. So their shares fell another 3.26% on Friday. Um, and it's postulated that uh, Walmart will pick up the slack and get their business. So you may want to pick up some Walmart stock. <laughs> so, 
any rate. What is, what is a share of Walmart going for these days? I have no idea. I have no idea, but I can tell you in, in a minute. But we'll keep talking about other things while I look this up. Um, Walmart, by the way, is still the largest retailer. Did you know that? Yes, that, that I know in, in the world, yes. And if you take all the wealth of the Walmart, of the Sam Walton's kids and put it together, uh, you probably would have more money there than anybody else on earth. Undoubtedly, I would think. It all started with one store. I forgot where it was, but it was just one store. Well, I know that they're located in Bentonville. Where? Bentonville, Arkansas. Oh, okay. Which is near the Missouri border. And uh, it's up in the Ozarks. And uh, that's where he, I think he had his first store somewhere in in Arkansas uh, or in, in that area there. And then he... He was an interesting guy. You know, he bought himself a little plane, taught himself to fly. And so he'd fly around, he'd fly over areas and come swooping in and say, oh, that looks like a good spot for a store. And then he'd <laughs> buy the property and put a store up. All right. Well, so he did a wonderful job. The stock on Friday was $153, Ken, for okay. sure. Well, it's not too bad. Not, not too shabby. Cheaper than Amazon, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, well, meanwhile, Tesla... Is, is just jumping like crazy. And uh, one of the reasons is that Ford last year, Ford said, well, we're going to just uh, uh, adhere to the Tesla standard for charging. So they signed on with Tesla to uh, and got the, the rights to use Tesla's uh, charging uh, outlet in, in the cars. And so they, they could go to the uh, commercial stations that Tesla has put up around the country and get your car charged up there. And I had to buy a, an attachment to my car to be able to use the Tesla chargers. It works well, but still, you know, most people don't want to fool around with that. So now GM just this past week said that they're going to do the same thing. So they're all teaming up with Tesla. Tesla's leading the way. And their they're, they're stuff jumped, what, another 5 or 10% last week. Well, it's great. And that, for me, it is because that's what my wife's got all my money in. Oh, okay, well, like, then it's fantastic. We, I'm happy for you, Doc. Can't we diversify, baby? No, no, this is it. <laughs> this is going to make us rich. Well, So she's know. throwing you in with Elon. There you go. Whether I like it or not, I am now an Elonite. <laughs> I think you're probably pretty safe there for a while. Yeah, I But do at some too. point, electric cars will become the past. Yeah, but I'll probably won't be. Uh, you won't be around. I won't be around to see it. No, I won't be sentient anyway. I'll probably be, you know, in a diaper in a nursing home somewhere. <laughs> Doc, I think it's probably decades away yet. Uh, I, <laughs> I hope so. But yeah. By the way, the knee is healing. Um, Good. I've been taking Advil and Tylenol, so I'm off of the narcotics and still hobbling around. Still drives me nuts at the end of the day, but I'm getting there. You back on a bike? No, not yet. Okay, no, that's a couple of that's that's another six weeks away. I'm only three weeks and a few days post op, so I want to get to six weeks and see how I'm doing. And then I'll probably wait two to three months post op to get back on my bicycle. But uh, hopefully, I'll be there before the summer's over. Uh, we're because we're going, as you know, to Japan in in the fall, and I want to be able to ride a little bit around and see some of the landscape there. Well, I hope you. I hope you're better by the time we get to the big remote. You know. Oh, absolutely. We're going to have the remote on Labor Day, and so we got to start looking for some sponsors, Ken. 
And, and by the way, anybody out there who knows anybody who wants to put up a booth, uh, we're going to have it at the, at the office and the parking lot, and there's tons of room for tables, and we can supply the tables and, uh, and chairs for you. And uh, certainly we'd love to have anybody who's interested, whether it's a bank or a healthcare entity or a, a food uh, purveyor or anybody, we'd, we'd love to have you. And so we've got to figure out where we can get some cheap hot dogs, Ken. <laughs> and cookies. Lots of cookies. Lots of cookies, and figure bottled water, hot dogs, and cookies, that should be more than adequate. I would think so. That should keep me happy. Yeah, and then we can have, you and I can be there, and people can see how we actually do a show and interact, and uh, that's what they want to see. They want to see what the studio setup is like, and and that's that's fun, you know, to see that sort of thing, kind of like going to these big factories and taking tours. Yeah, one of my favorite tours was the Budweiser factory in St. Louis. You should try that sometime. That's a fascinating tour. Did you stumble through it or what? You know, they give you a free beer at the end. Yeah, same way at uh, yeah, same way with the Heineken's uh, tour in Amsterdam. And then you go out and you're a little bit tipsy, and there's a bunch of junkies out there trying to give you uh, free advice, and then they want a, a handout. <laughs> you need help reading your map? No, <laughs> I can read a damn map, lady. Get out of my face. And I got to tell you, right at the brewery, the beer is unbelievably good. Oh, yeah. As you would expect, I guess. Remember the days when uh, Bush Gardens, before they sold, before the Bush uh, Budweiser sold that to, I don't know who they sold it to, some other entity. They used to have a, a beer tasting uh, uh, exhibit. Did you remember that? I, I You know, I'm, I haven't been there for a while, so it's been about five or six years since I've been there. I don't remember it, though. Maybe I do. Yeah, we did have some free beers when we were there last time. Yep. So it hasn't been uh, gone that long, I guess. Not too long. Yeah. Sad. We need more free beer in this country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. Speaking of beer in Germany, um, the German experts are now uh, saying that they know how to avoid future drug shortages, uh, like the problems with... Uh, with uh, supply chain and uh, price dumping, regulatory challenges, the effects of COVID pandemic. And so uh, they held a meeting and, you know, they said, oh, there's complex causes. Well, yeah, of course there are, you know, what do you want? How do you get the raw materials? Um, how do you convince companies to keep producing when they're not making that much of a profit? Um, how do you get uh, the, the goods to the market or get get the uh, raw materials from from countries like India and China uh, to Europe or the United States and can we uh, can we do this ourselves well of course we can but you know then there's the cost of production which jumps considerably when you go from uh, from a I guess China can still be considered a developing country uh, with very cheap labor and uh, try to do that in your own backyard you know it's not easy ken it's we, not we e don't hear a lot about companies moving to mexico anymore have they increased their labor costs to the point where it's not profitable anymore there well i think part of the nafta deal was that uh, any cars or certain goods that were sold in the united states or canada uh, that were made in mexico that the mexicans had to pay the same uh, the same equivalent salary so let's say that uh, you know uh, a lab worker makes $50 an hour here, and um, let's say a peso is now, what, five or 10 pesos to a dollar. So they'd have to be paid 
500 pesos an hour or the equivalent thereof in terms of uh, cost of living and all of that. So that certainly pushed up the cost of production uh, for goods that are going back and forth between Canada, the United States, and Mexico uh, as part of these trade agreements. I think the latest one was at the one that Trump uh, renegotiated, uh, but basically it stayed with the same mantra. And uh, the idea was that we would help pull Mexico up at the same time as we uh, continue to get some less expensive materials and goods. And, and I know that they're still making a lot of stuff in Mexico. You just don't hear much about it. And it's overshadowed by the, uh, by the border crisis and uh, all the other political hoopla that's going on. True. Back in the 70s or 80s, you know, you hear some GM moving to Mexico was big news, but I guess. And they still make parts there, but I think that part of the problem is that uh, you have to assemble a certain percentage of the product in the United States to sell it here. I don't know how that works with the NAFTA and the uh, updated NAFTA with the Can Maxis or whatever they called it, uh, but I know that like for air conditioners, I know that companies are are having uh, a lot of the parts made in Mexico, and then they assemble them here. So uh, it, it's it's a uh, it's a complex supply chain uh, and uh, production problem, and and uh, you know it's also manipulation by companies and by governments to try to. Uh, even things out or or throw your weight around so you can get a little bigger share of the market or whatever. Uh, a supply chain shortage like the semaglutide, you know, Ozempic, you hear that on TV, oh, 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 Ozempic. Oh, okay, all right. <clears throat> That's an anti-diabetic medication that also uh, uh, causes you to lose some weight. So it's been taken over uh, by the weight reduction gang people who want to get on this. And one of my patients, a retired ophthalmologist, he actually came in for a visit because he wanted to get on, on this. He's not diabetic, but he wanted to lose weight. I said, okay, so got him a prescription, but there was a supply shortage of this. Well, how do we, how do we avoid that? Well, we're going to have to manufacture more and we're going to have to be able to do it cheaply enough to compete with countries like uh, India and China, which have much lower uh, production costs than we do. And the same thing with antibiotics and uh, oncology drugs, cancer drugs. Uh, I remember the days when you could get uh, doxycycline for, you know, like a penny a pill wholesale. Uh, not anymore, my friend. You know, uh, doxycycline jumped. Uh, you used to be able to get a prescription at Publix for 10 bucks. Now it's like 60 70 $80 for Whoa. A 10-day supply. It's just ridiculous. Why is that? Just because they can? Well, I think or is that's it just a, a supply and demand thing. Supply and demand. Uh, the uh, the production fell off over the years, and uh, so there are fewer companies making it. And, of course, if there's fewer companies, there's less competition. Guess what? Higher Charge prices. Higher price. Yeah. And, uh raw materials and so it goes on and on and there's a there's a lot of different factors but uh what are the solutions to this well the supply chain is one thing uh, and you can cut that out by making your own stuff in, in your own backyard and and that certainly is is a possibility and with the uh, increasing 
automation of processes and uh, artificial intelligence, we should be able to figure this out and do it. I know that in our in our hospital, uh, we had a shortage of sodium bicarbonate for uh, IV fluids. So we had to end up mixing up our own IV fluids and we approved this at the last pharmacy and therapeutics committee meeting because we couldn't get it. So we said, well, we'll just make our own. So the pharmacists are back there under the hood, mixing up sterile water and, and sodium and bicarbonate and whatever else. And, offered to bring in a box of my own, you know, arm and hammer, but they, <laughs> yeah. they said, no, that's not USP grade. I said, good enough for eating. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the strategy has to be long-term and it can't just be day-to-day -day, uh, requirements trying to meet those. It has to be uh, uh, an idea of stockpiling. And of course, who wants to stockpile if you don't know if those stockpiles are going to be used up, right? Exactly. So you're you're gonna have you're gonna have to fight industry on this. You don't and, make more widgets if you've got a warehouse full of widgets. No, and uh, and, and of course we require a multinational approach, but uh, trying to get everybody to work together again, you've got governments that want to step in and say, well, you have to do this, and then companies say, well, you know what, we're not going to do it, and by the way, we're closing down our shop here, and we're moving from. Germany to Northern Ireland or, or Irish Republic because they don't have the same rules and regulations. And we're increasing the price, USOBs. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, this is what happens. So the government tries to get in and tries to do it. And then the private industry says, well, if you just let private enterprise take care of it, it'll work itself out. And of course it will, but it takes longer and people don't like that. They don't want uh, self-pay rates in medicine or in pharmaceuticals. They want the government to step in and control it. Uh, I don't know why, but certainly that, that's that been the mantra for the past several years. Well, especially when it comes to Medicare and Medicaid, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And we have been, uh, we have been very, I'm not going to say uh, negligent, but we have been very conscious conscious of not imposing uh, price demands on the drug companies when dealing with Medicare and Medicaid. Now, that's starting to change, but part of that was because uh, the drug companies are big lobbyists, and they pay for the help pay for the campaigns of senators and congressmen, and then they won't vote for it. And, and this is both parties. Yeah, this is both parties. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, well, that's what lobbyists do. That's their job. Yeah, and then and but then the government, the, the liberal governments get in and they say, well, no, you have to, you have to start. We're we're regulating your prices. We're not going to pay you a hundred dollars for a pill that costs you thirty dollars to produce. You know, you can you can produce it and add on your your markup, your twenty percent, and then there's the middleman and there's distribution. And so let's say it comes out to fifty or sixty bucks. That's all we're paying for it. That's it. Well, there you go. Oh, my. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, inequity about the drug prices. I mean, around the country, around the world, we're still paying the most. Well, yeah, we're subsidizing the rest of the world. Exactly. Should we be, should we be doing that? I mean, why are we doing that? Why don't they, why isn't the rest of the world paying their fair share? The same prices. Well, because they can't afford to pay it, and so it falls on our backs. And then we've got all these liberals saying, well, we have so much, we should be helping other people out. 
wait a minute. <laughs> I want to take a vacation. <laughs> Let them go get their own. <laughs> Cut my taxes down. I don't know. I don't know. It's complex. Oh, did you hear Ted Ted Kaczynski, you know, the Unabomber? Yeah, we got some good news there yesterday. He's gone, yeah. He bit the dust, 81 years old. And it was his brother who turned him in. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, his brother helped turn him in. There was actually a, a, a Law & Order episode that was based on that where the brother said, I recognize that writing, and his, uh, his younger brother was the bomber who was going around New York blowing people up. So, yeah, his brother... Um, helped turn him in, and uh, he he was apparently a bright guy. I think he was a Yale or Harvard graduate and mathematician, and but a little bit of a screwball, obviously. Well, yeah, he lived in like a ten by four hut. So yeah, yeah. and and he ate and slept and made bombs. Yeah, so, so very weird. Yeah, but so long, buddy. People maimed twenty three others. I think he three people were killed. Twenty three were injured in his bombings. And it was one of the largest manhunts in the history of the FBI and the ATF. And I guess the ATF learned a lot from that, too. They really started learning how to fingerprint uh, the uh, devices that were being made, the bombs. So fascinating. He's gone. Dang. <laughs> uh, he even he 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 got he, he, would, he would have fun with the uh, law enforcement as well. By yep. saying I'm going to bomb here and then not doing it, he was yep. just very disruptive as well. He he was he really was disruptive. Yeah. So goodbye, Ted. So, uh, do you know uh, anything about uh, the Lexmark copiers? Have you ever heard of those? No, I don't. Lexmark is, uh, I think IBM originally owned them, and they sold that off years ago, and so it's changed hands, and it's now. Uh, owned by a company called Nine Star, which is a Chinese-based company. Now, this company has a, a, an office, a homeland, uh, or a home office in Kentucky. And uh, the Department of Homeland Security stepped in and said, you can't sell anymore because the copiers that are being sold are being manufactured by slave labor. And so the U.S. has blocked the import of goods made by this Chinese laser printer company, Nine Star, which we're selling under the brand name Lexmark, U.S.-based Lexmark International. And so this was in Kentucky, and they're closing them down. They're not closing them down. They're saying you can't sell the copiers that are made in China because they're being made by the Uyghurs and the other minorities that are being uh, persecuted by the Chinese. By the way, I told you we were in Xi'an, and our tour guide, um, nice guy, he took us to the Muslim section of town, which had been there for, you know, God knows, 800, 900 years. And we got to talking, and I said, um, do you have much problem with, with the Muslims and, you know, having uh, Muslim terrorists and writing? He said, well, we did, but but uh, we send them away. We send them to the Northwest province. And, uh they're pretty much under lock and key there. I mean, they can move about, but there's troops all around. And uh, I said, what happens if they act up? He said, they'll just move the whole community. They'll just send them out. So there's a lot of pressure by the, by the people within the community not to uh, allow their kids to 
to do any uh, any uh, terrorist activities, and and it's it's a it's a big deal in China. They've had their problems with terrorist activities, and they have the same kind of security measures that we do. Doc, yeah. we got about thirty seconds left. Time oh got time got away from me this morning. Oh my God! Well, listen, I am Doctor Bill, and I'm at seven two seven three eight four six four one one seven two seven three eight four six four one one. I'm your Doctor Bill. I am your radio doctor. I'm your telemedicine doctor. I'm your in-office doctor. You're my doctor. And I'm your doctor, too. That's right. All right, buddy. We're out here. Thanks. I had a great time today. Talk to you next week, Doc. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Join Dr. Bill every Sunday morning at 9 for more insight, information, provocation, and fun. Dr. Bill Handelman practices in St. Petersburg, Florida at Bay Area Medical Can Care Clinic, 6399 38th Avenue North. For your convenience, telemedicine appointments are available. Call his office today at 727-384-6411. That's 727-384-6411. Or visit his website at Clinic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.